0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's com slash wondery.
1: Welcome to episode 190 with my guest Aparna Nancherla. I'm Paul Gilmartin, this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist, That's not a doctor's office, it's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go there, check it out, read some blogs, got a lot of guest blogs there, um, Uh, I've posted a few blogs of of my own. Uh, There are surveys that you can fill out, um, which I read on the podcast. Uh, And you can also see how other people have uh, filled out the surveys. And you can also support the show financially um, on the website. Um, I want to read a couple before we get into the interview with uh, Aparna. Um, This is... Struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself so very tired. Uh, she's African-American and about dealing with racial bias. She writes, I know you mean well, but please stop asking questions about my hair. Um, this is from a woman who calls herself dual diagnosed marriage and family therapist. Uh, about her pan- her anxiety, she writes, my panic attacks feel like I'm stuck in a tanning bed during an earthquake and the building has collapsed on the tanning bed with no way out. Uh, this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Andrea and about being a sex crime victim. She writes, um, I've never told anyone, I've never cried, I feel numb. Uh, and then a snapshot from her life, she writes, I'm completely broken living on unemployment, going on six months now. I cannot bring myself to apply for a single job because I feel completely unworthy and I don't know who I am or what I am good at. Or what I should be doing. I'm failing at life. I never had kids. And I'm afraid I will die. And nobody will know or care that I ever existed. And the reason I wanted to read this, uh, Andrea, is because there, in my opinion, uh, there is a link between never having processed what happened to you and feeling stuck um, and depressed where you are right now. And uh, I really, really encourage you to go to... Um, either a rape uh, rape crisis center um go to the the website rainn.org org. Uh, that's rape and incest national network and you can also you can um sometimes find free counseling through there um or if they don't have it they can refer you to someone else you can also dial 211 uh and find out what services are available in your area but this person who can't get out of bed who feels worthless it is in my opinion, completely related to that, to that trauma, and I'm sure other traumas that have happened in your life as well. So sending you some love and a, and a hug. This is the same survey filled out by a, a woman who calls herself Captain Sarcasm about her anxiety. Like, my life depends on keeping a straight face in all situations while being tortured by an invisible individual. About her OCD, life is like a game, and I am the only one playing by the rules about her perfectionism. It's the same feeling as I had growing up when I was told that God loves me but only if I'm perfect or if I repent perfectly. Like there's no such thing as good enough. And she is gay by the way, which I'm sure living in a strict religious household was wonderful, a wonderful and nurturing experience. Um, snapshot from her life. Trying to overcome perfectionism by making a list of things I like about myself, only to realize that there's nothing to put on the list because I don't embody any of the traits 100% of the time. Oh my God! I wish I could say that I've never done that, but I have done that. And I'm like, well I'm, I'm lying if I, you know, if I'm saying that I'm uh, you know uh, a kind, compassionate person because think about that time I was the dick, you know, to that person. Uh, this is filled out by Willie Bean. He is a teenager and about his bulimia. He writes, Stuffing all of my emotions down with food, letting it mix together, then just flushing it all the- away. Snapshot from his life. Looking back at the pictures of me from third grade and seeing I was a skinny kid, even though I remember me being bit big old fatty shy kid. Um, this one is filled out by a, a woman who calls herself uh, Not Sick Enough Jenny. And she writes struggling with this particular survey because I can't define anything specific in the boxes above. I'm not diagnosed with anything. I was abused, but that's uh, that's as it is. I'm totally blind, and I'm perfectly fine with it. I live in a non-sexual marriage, and I tolerate it. I'm fucking alone, but is I'm not ready to look for help. That is the struggle of each day. I'm not sick enough, and I resent the world for thinking I'm such a fantastic person. Then I realize... I'm fucking awesome, but don't have the balls to tell anyone. I want to tell my husband much of this, but he is someone that claims that he, quote, snapped out of his depression. Yeah, okay, sure, dude. Listening to an older episode today, I recognized the symptoms of... It's, she, she wrote BP4, but I, I wonder if that's not BPD, because I, I googled BP4 and I didn't see any kind of... um. Unless there's a bipolar four, now that I don't know about. Um shoot, anyways, I recognized the symptoms of BP, whatever, and it clicked with me. Maybe that is something. Maybe I should try to talk to someone. But I'm not on drugs, alcohol, or cut myself. I'm not suicidal. I can do it myself. That's what I've done so far, and I turned out just fine, right? I'm so sick of myself right now. Uh, sending you sending you some love. And, um, God, I get this all the time. People that are like, I'm not fucked off enough to, to seek help. Well, the fact that you feel... That you're not fucked up enough to justify the pain and the malaise that you're in is, in fact, something that you should go talk to somebody about. How you, how you like that? How you like I turn that around on you? This is filled out by a teenage guy who calls himself Eshkol and about his depression. Uh, he writes, it's from chronic fatigue. When the brain fog surrounds you completely and you can't tell if it's the fog or it's reality. About his anxiety. I love this one. Like everyone in the room has been briefed on what to do and I overslept. That is great. Uh, about love addiction. The vicious circle of hating to be alone and collapsing in a relationship. Um, about chronic fatigue. A filter for true friendship. There are very few people who believe you're not faking it. I can't imagine how hard that must be. My heart goes out to those of you that uh, that deal with chronic fatigue. Um About uh, racial bias, he writes, no matter how tidily I live my life, I remain a filthy Slav. And uh, that's S-L-A-V, not S-L-O-B. And uh, about his anger issues, I don't care if you're older, more experienced, or superior. If you act condescendingly to me, I will scream at you. Um, This one was filled out by a a transgender uh, female to male um, calling themselves uh, Hedge Witch. And uh, about uh, their dysthymia. The Leonardo DiCaprio of depression. Recognized for having depression, but you never win for worst depression. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Um, and, and they also write, my depression never feels dark enough, which makes me feel like I'm not even good at depression. Always a bridesmaid, never the bride. Um, That is valid. That is valid for seeking seeking help and it's not a contest um, and then finally this one is filled out by <laughs> I fucking love this name She's she's in her 40s and she calls herself the returning college students are so young and full of energy I hate them and her struggle is depression and she writes, I think a shower might make me feel better, but thinking about getting the temperature adjusted correctly has just overwhelmed and exhausted me. So I'm just going to lay here and hope the TNT Law and Order Marathon doesn't switch over to something li- lame like reality TV or worse, a cheerful talk show, because my remote batteries just died and I think it's the universe telling me I am, in fact, a worthless loser. Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds.
0: cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that.
1: The burden of perfectionism.
0: And that's when I got to therapy.
1: Let's talk about that. I was like, fuck
0: it. I'm alive. I don't
1: give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian
0: militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you
1: feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Aperna Nancherla. Am I yeah. pronouncing your name correctly? Yeah. And uh, I don't know anything about you other than you're a stand-up comedian. I saw that you were following me on Twitter and that you listened to the show. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just a little voice in my head will say, invite this person over and (laughs) record them. And just for some reason, that I just...
0: Oh a little, well, thank a you voice <laughs> in my head.
1: I mean, I watched some of your stand up on mm-hmm. on YouTube really yes. funny,
0: oh, thank you um, That's very nice,
1: but personally, I don't know
0: anything yes.
1: about you. You may be you know completely well adjusted and totally healthy mm-hmm. um but my i guess my my gut kind of said. She's a woman doing stand-up, which is not easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, certainly easier than when my wife was doing it 20 years ago. Yes. Um, but uh, you have a name that's difficult uh pronou- right. to pronounce, and I'm sure gets mangled all the time. <laughs> yes. And are are you of Indian descent? Yes. And so I thought there's probably I would imagine some type of dynamic with um. Having, are you first generation, second generation? Um, uh, my
0: parents immigrated here, so I always okay. forget what that makes me. I think first generation. First generation. Yes. Okay.
1: Um, so I just thought there's there's oh, probably something in there. Yes. <laughs> I I think I really, the
0: podcast really resonated with me. And a friend, a f- comic friend of mine was the one who referred me to it. And I think I had been, I had moved to Los Angeles about two years ago. And I think I had been going through a lot of just... um Anxiety and depression, which I which I've had on and off my whole life, but I think it definitely flared up in different ways uh, after moving here. And I think it was just really nice to hear other people's experiences uh, in whatever form that comes with it, and just how different people cope with uh, having sort of demons in their head i know it's kind of normal for performers to struggle with those types of things but i think sometimes they the struggle remains in the shadows and then just like whatever filters through to their act comes out but they might not bring all of it to light
1: so i i participated in an interview um last week and the subject of it was does mental illness going untreated mm-hmm. help comedy or hurt comedy? And some people feel one that it helps it, and other people feel. F- I'm of the belief that it it might be the spark that lights you to want to do comedy, but it can so degrade the rest of your life if you're one of these people that think oh, I don't want to lose my edge. I don't, you know, I don't yes. want to get treated. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that I think. It also does if your mental illness is untreated is that the palate that you can kind of choose from is very limited, yes, it tends to be kind of negative and and dark, yeah, and joy is just so foreign mm-hmm. and that, that that's kind of that's kind of my belief what's your experience been with um with, with with that,
0: well, I think stand up comedy. Just my interest in it very much started as a way to sort of come out of a depression. Um, in college, I sort of struggled with eating issues. Like I was running cross country and track, and I sort of got up caught up in, caught up in this group mind culture of like. Uh, it's better to like control your diet and and just like be very regimented about the way you live. But it was very much just a a sort of a screen for underlying depression and and just feeling like uh, I was going to get to college and then figure everything out. And then after my first year, I hadn't really figured anything out and then sort of falling into a depression after realizing that maybe I wasn't gonna ever figure out any answers. Uh so that kind of funneled into an a bit of an eating disorder, but I, I guess I was I've always been a very self aware sort of obsessive thinker, like thinking about um what my actions mean and like over analyzing everything. So I, I immediately was like, well this feels like just this- dysfunctional eating so I was like I should probably figure this out so I took time off from school to actually go to a treatment center for that and there I kind of learned that I'd been struggling with depression for most of my life I just hadn't had a label for it or I just thought everyone saw the world that way and you just sort of that's how it should be for everyone but I realized that maybe my view was off uh, center and then I started doing stand up just randomly after like coming home from that center and just like trying to find new ways to, to like branch out of my comfort zone. And, uh, I think I realized that like getting treatment for depression was like one of the best things I did for myself. Cause I don't think I would have been able to really do anything without getting it treated. Like I felt like pretty immobile and like un, uh, I don't know what the word is, unmotivated to do anything when I was really in it.
1: And then you think you're lazy. Yeah. that, And then you feel worse. Right. You pile that on top of yourself, and you have no idea that you're battling against something like a diabetic, battling, trying to produce insulin.
0: Right, right. And just feeling really like this is just who I am as a person, and like there's something wrong with me, and sort of those thoughts of like, why does everyone else sort of have this ability to do everything and just like get out of bed in the morning and not freak out about everything
1: well let's let's go back um and and talk about like where you were raised and and stuff like that okay um you were from Washington Mm -hmm. D.C. yes
0: I was raised in the suburbs so more in northern Virginia but um yeah I I feel like I had a pretty good childhood by all accounts like I I had an older sister and my two parents they stayed together they're still together. Um the biggest thing I think that kind of jumps out to be to me about my childhood just after going to therapy and like having to talk about it and stuff is just that there was kind of a lack of uh bringing too many emotions to light in my family like we're all kind of guarded and also there was a lot of emphasis on sort of keeping up appearances so like if you're having a hard time don't like over talk about it like it'll just kind of like grin and bear it a little bit
1: is is that part of indian culture or is that just your your I your think, family
0: i think there is a bit of a stigma in asian culture about getting help for mental illness and sort of going to therapy uh or like causing scenes in general or or yeah like i don't think you would want other people in your community to know that like oh i go to a therapist because i am like manic depressive or whatever it happens to be i think it's better to like keep that very like guarded
1: yeah i've i've uh heard that from friends who are uh asian and first generation asians uh especially a a friend of mine who is uh, filipino mm-hmm. and she said it's you know you, it would almost you know it's unthinkable to let people know yeah that you go to therapy yeah
0: i mean i think a big part of that is just that it's such a group oriented culture and like therapy is it, in that sense can feel very self-indulgent or individualistic and they're very like more like what's good for the whole rather than the parts even though it's like if one part is broken it's probably <laughs> bad for the whole <laughs> All
1: right. All right so you felt as a kid that you were you were maybe different from others that you couldn't experience?
0: Yeah, I just always had sort of this melancholic side to me that I thought was what everyone had, but, but and it, as I got older, I realized that maybe I had it to a bigger degree than other people. Because I'm sure even... I don't know how well-adjusted people see everything on a day-to-day mm. basis, but I would assume their moods aren't always the same. Happy to joyful. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Are there any snapshots from your from your childhood that you can kind of paint to help give us a a kind of picture of
0: Well, I was um I'm the younger sibling. I have an older sister and I definitely like our roles in the family fell into where she was like the more rebellious one and more outspoken and then I felt like I kind of took on the role of being the good child and like the one who doesn't ruffle uh, or, yeah, like make any waves. So I think I very much like suppressed any issues I was having just in the in the hopes of like not letting my parents down and trying to like, because they, they kind of had their hands full with her. So I didn't feel like it was an option for me to like go crazy or, yeah. So I immediately kind of fell into that role. And in doing that, I think I very much like sort of, wasn't aware of what was going on with myself and was just like sort of on autopilot a lot of the time with my emotions
1: i i relate to that so deeply it's not it's not even funny oh really Um, it was the exact situation in my family and so you grow up not even recognizing what you're feeling or what your needs are you just gay or at least i just gauged it by is everybody happy is everything okay yeah and so you become almost uh almost machine like in terms of how you react to situations and and I don't know I think your soul really kind of starts to wither because that just that drains your spirit
0: yeah and I think I also did it to the extent of not even letting other friends in and then I grew up not really having a lot of close friends because I didn't really make the connection that to have friends you sort of need to open up I just thought it was like a thing where you just like gravitate towards the people that you like spending time with but I think because I was so guarded I, it sort of shut off the possibility of having more uh, intimate relationships with people
1: Plus too if you don't see your parents talking about their feelings you don't have a template to go from and most people right. don't just start doing things in a vacuum they they need a role model to go oh that's the kind of sentence you put together to express that you're feeling frustrated or you feel confused or sad or lonely or whatever
0: right and i think they i mean it's not like they were robotic about their emotions but it was very much sort of like trying to keep the household together even when there were like events going on like if my sister was having like friction with my dad or something like just trying to like weather that. So I was more caught up in sort of like trying to shut that out than trying to figure out how it affected me or or how to process it.
1: Right. Uh and what did your parents uh do for a living?
0: They're both doctors. Oh, okay. Yeah, so pretty pretty busy schedules, like not a lot of necessarily like downtime with them like when I was smaller.
1: And was uh, uh, there a large emphasis on achievement?
0: Yeah, but it's weird because I I know other, I have like a lot of South Asian friends and I feel like their parents were a lot more demanding directly to them, whereas my parents sort of just assumed we would maintain a certain standard but weren't necessarily like waving our report cards
1: uh around and and did you maintain that standard
0: yeah like i think we internalized a lot of of like expectations so it was like even though they weren't telling me something i was like disappointed in myself gotcha yeah because it was uh, sort of their behavior reflected that like work is a priority like you shouldn't sit around and not do anything Mm. like relaxing still needs to be like scheduled in
1: (laughs) (laughs) relax from four to five yeah yeah Yeah. um god damn it i relax for 10 minutes (laughs) too long yeah
0: yeah. exactly
1: uh any seminal moments kind of stand out from childhood or, or adolescence
0: um I think I just like as a kid in school like I had a lot of stress about going to school and like making friends I had uh, like I think I have social anxiety now and a lot of it stems from childhood because I had like a few encounters of just being bullied and I think it was more just as it wasn't even that I was like really weird or something like just that I was like quiet and probably wouldn't say anything about it that I was a target in that way just of like maybe like bullies sort of know who to target that won't like you know ever say anything happened
1: they can see in the eyes of another kid yeah who they can who they can get away with and I, and I think for a lot of bullies they're they see that weakness in another kid and it's the weakness, I think, that they hate in, inside themselves. And, and it just kind of infla- enrages yeah. them in a way. I remember seeing a kid. I was not a, a, a bully, although there, were, there was certainly one kid that I was a dick to in my, in, in my neighborhood. But I remember seeing a, a kid. Um, he was kind of a dorky kid, and he had on a Talking Heads t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And they were not cool yet. He, oh, this kid was ahead of the curve okay. you know i was still listening to led zeppelin and anything that wasn't led zeppelin you know you were you were a douchebag in my mind and i remember this kid like proudly wearing this talking heads t-shirt and i remember feeling rage mm-hmm. at him and and wondering why why am i so angry yeah. at this guy and i think it's because he it's like he was he knew he was a target and he didn't care and yeah. and that just st- I don't know why that bothered me. Yeah. But um sorry about that th- no, that no. tangent but there there it's weird that dynamic in high school about what pisses you off and what pisses yeah. other people off and what gets you picked on and what doesn't get you picked on and so would you just try to blend in? I mean what would-
0: Yeah, I mean I think I was bullied more in elementary and middle school and then high school I sort of found like I just did a lot of extracurriculars so I feel like I was able to meet people that way uh and then I didn't feel necessarily like a target as much as I just felt sort of like under the radar like like coasting a little bit uh but yeah like when I was little I just like had strange like uh outbursts of like aggression like definitely just like boys like threatening me like with like violence but like in a way where i didn't know how serious they were but i just was a pretty naive kid so i assume they were you know intending whatever they threatened and then just like having to go home and be like oh my god i can't ever go back to school and then just having to go back
1: (laughs) oh my god that's so sad yeah
0: it's just like strange to like sort of have that Thing. and then i would get a cry and not want to go to school but not be able to tell my parents why exactly cuz i would be too scared to tell them why
1: oh that's so yeah that's i so feel like tough. kids
0: carry a lot with they them do. like you really don't know what's going on all the time
1: they feel things so deeply and mm-hmm. they don't they don't have that w- real life experience to to know where things end so right. you extrapolate it out in your mind yeah. to death or right, of course. whatever
0: yeah and that's yeah that's it you can't really like put it in any kind of context at all
1: so at what point what what was the first kind of unmanageable thing popping up was it was it food for you when did you start running track
0: uh high school
1: and what did you did you get a sense of accomplishment or anything yeah, from that?
0: Yeah, I think so. Cause I mean, one of the, I had never been sort of like an active kid. I'd been more of like a sort of a reader and like someone who like was excited to do their homework for whatever reason. And, uh, and yeah, so that was like something that was just me like starting to exercise and be like, oh, this makes me feel good. Like, this is a nice thing. And and I wasn't even like, you know, I have to be the fastest or anything. It was just something to do. And it felt like productive. Uh, and then I think were you
1: good at it? I
0: I, I, w- I was actually OK at it. Like I uh, I I ran varsity and stuff and it was like. But immediately, like as soon as I felt like I put. A certain expectation on it is when I start to like my demons like immediately pop up like I start comparing myself and then and then it's like I can't even really enjoy it anymore because it's so wrapped up in like am I good enough do I deserve to be doing this isn't that
1: funny you know the ego just it's a barnacle that will attach itself to anything, even yeah. good things. It's like all of a sudden it's gotta it's gotta compare it to to, to other people. Yeah. You get something good in your life. It will it's it wants in at yeah. all costs. It wants in. Uh so you're starting to get accomplish a sense of accomplishment running track. Does food become an issue for you at that point?
0: Not really. I mean, I think I think any adolescent girl probably goes through some type of food issue. So I was was aware of what I was eating, but I sort of justified that I had an active lifestyle, so I didn't need to worry about it necessarily. Uh, I was just, you know, I would be aware of like what, if we went on a meet where we traveled, I would kind of monitor what the other girls were eating and stuff in that way. That teenagers kind of like see what other people are doing, but uh, but yeah, it wasn't until college where I sort of like really like lived with other people that it became like a lot more overbearing.
1: The uh, comparing yourself to the other kids on the track team in high school. What uh, can you just talk about that a, a little bit?
0: Yeah, I think I I compared in a lot of ways, just like you know, like how. The girls were like treated by other guys, and like how who was like more popular, and then like who, how that correlated with like who was the fastest. Like, I feel like I was always sort of like trying to rank people on different scales just to like, I think I've always been like a control person. So it sort of gave me a sense of order to be like, this person is here on this scale, and this person is here on this scale. And I never sort of like, Put myself in that system, but it helped, it made me feel like calmer to like organize everyone else that way
1: and go this person's popular because of that, and they got this yeah. because of this, and this directly right. relates to that, which I think is like the most human thing to do, but it's when it's out of control then yeah. it's crazy
0: right, yeah, and I think a lot of times there wasn't really an actual order right. to it. it was like a very skewed way of thinking, and I think I would just get so caught up and no, this is the way things are and not be able to, like, break out of of those, like, locked-in beliefs.
1: And so then what would your dream, your kind of unhealthy dream for yourself have been back then?
0: I think it was just like, oh, like, if I just keep, like, practicing, I'll be, like, a lot faster and then, like, people will be nicer to me and I'll, like, get more respect and... Like, I'll I'll actually deserve, like, a place here uh, rather than just, like, being okay with where I was at. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that kind of thinking has, like, continued with me onto, like, whatever new thing I do. Like, now I have it with comedy, obviously. But I know that a lot of people have that kind of thinking.
1: Yeah, and it's so... It's so insidious, and yet it's. We're I think we're just wired. And I don't know if it's genetically that's in us, or if society... Yeah.
0: I don't know if it's like a biological drive to try to better oneself. But yeah, if it's like now it's kind of like gone crazy now that we don't actually have to do it for survival, but just for, I don't know, social order.
1: So you get to college... And you start interacting more intimately mm-hmm. with other people, and seeing how they eat and how they live. What? Give me paint paint a picture for me, kind of.
0: Um, I think another thing in high school that I felt very left out of was like I didn't date and I didn't have any sort of like. Uh, confidence in like the romance department at all and I justified it by like oh I'm like way too busy my parents probably wouldn't be too happy about it so I'll just like not even worry about it and then in college it felt like people definitely use that time to like explore their sexuality and explore like their limits in terms of like drinking and drugs and I just felt so like I had been so sheltered that I didn't know how to handle any of it i know a lot of people like go the opposite end where they kind of go crazy and try everything but i was like too afraid to try anything so i felt like very isolated in that sense like i couldn't really tell people because i was embarrassed about it but uh but at the same time i was like i don't know how to deal with this because i i feel like everyone else has these experiences and I don't, and I don't know what to do about it.
1: Was it that you wanted to experience those things, but you didn't know how to go about doing it at your rate that would make you comfortable or you didn't want anything to do with them and you felt left out?
0: i think it was more the former like i wanted to but i didn't know where to start and i also felt like it was like a hopeless quest a little bit like i i think i still carried that thing with me from childhood like there was something wrong with me like I was a little bit of an outsider so that was those things weren't even for me
1: were you also afraid that you wouldn't trying those things you'd stick out like a sore thumb and you wouldn't kind of do it well or yeah. smoothly. And, yeah, like and I think, you,
0: yes. Like I wouldn't handle it gracefully and it would be very apparent. Yeah, my lack of uh, sort of, yeah.
1: As opposed to the rest of college I students know. who handle drinking and fucking <laughs> with such grace
0: <laughs> yes. yes, and composure. <laughs> yeah. And then I didn't drink for a long time and I felt like that actually made me feel more like left out rather than even though I thought if I drink it would be more embarrassing. I think not drinking somehow, like, people are, like, I, I feel a little self-conscious around you, like you're judging them or something, which I wasn't, but I think I felt like, oh, no, like, this isn't working either.
1: We are going to uh, pause here for a second and give some love to our sponsor, Bulu Box. Uh, Bulu Box, for 10 bucks a month, uh, will send you... Uh, four to five vitamin supplement or nutrition products, uh, and there's free shipping. Um, at this time, uh, they only ship to the continental United States, but it's a great way to try um, products that are smart for your, uh, your body and, uh, and your life. So um, go to bulubox.com and put in the promo code Hour. And uh, when you go to bluebox.com, look for the microphone in the top left corner. Click on that, and then you'll enter the promo code HAPPY HOUR. And every month, you get a a sample of different things, sample size, and uh, that way you can decide what you want to buy uh, larger sizes of. So it's a good way to introduce yourself to products that you might not ever try uh, otherwise. So again, go to uh, bluebox.com and uh, click on the microphone in the upper left hand corner. Use the Promo code Happy Hour, and uh, you can get your first box for free if you uh, if you use that uh, that promo code. Thank you, Blue Box. So has the issue of, and this may be an understatement or obvious, but kind of keeping yourself in control always been an, an issue?
0: Yes, I think it's been a big thing throughout my life. Like something I still struggle with, like daily of, like, not feeling worthy if I don't check off certain boxes. I think that's a little bit of, like, obsessive compulsiveness, but I don't think it's to a, like, paralyzing degree, but it is definitely, like, if I do things in a certain order, like, make sure to do certain things, it feels less... Uh, everything feels a little more manageable.
1: There's a survey on the website called... um struggle in a sentence and Mm -hmm. there's a list of things like ocd um depression um sex addiction alcoholism and i Mm -hmm. ask people to try to in a sentence or to summarize what it feels like to struggle with that issue and the food one uh anorexia and bulimia the one that kind of I I hear over and over again Mm -hmm. is people use the word clean Hmm. that it makes them feel clean and powerful to to, when they're controlling their food, when they're denying themselves something, it feels like winning and success. Mm -hmm. Can, can you talk about that?
0: Yeah. I think when I, I think when, when I was struggling with my eating, it did feel very much like if I was able to fit things into certain boxes like okay I'm only gonna eat like this many calories per day and these food groups it felt very like powerful just to be able to uh, abide by that and then I guess because food is so intimate it's like what you're putting into your body that it feels like you are very like in control of your life like because I guess it's your it's your energy source so it it, it sort of equates with uh how you feel and like how capable you feel of doing things and when you eat something that's like quote unquote bad or that you've decided you shouldn't eat it's like very much feels like a failure or like it's a very all or nothing like the whole day is shot
1: i would imagine that for somebody who's anorexic or bulimic your weight then becomes a visible trophy of your proof of how much power you do or don't have in your life.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I I feel like I'm a little um, abnormal in that I struggle with it for really just like a a solid year and I think like I picked up on it so quickly that I never really like got caught up in like full blown like habits of like weighing myself all the time. It was more just like, I started going to treatment for the eating disorder but still being very caught up in the behaviors, So, like, the only time I would weigh myself was when I would have to go to the health center to get weighed to see if I had gained weight, and then I would feel, like, happy when I hadn't gained any. But, like, in terms of on my own time...
1: The depth of that irony is, like, to the the core (laughs) of the earth. (laughs) Right. I was like, I'm
0: getting help, so I'm fine, but really I was very, like, not doing anything... But what they were asking me to do. So
1: you're just kind of going through the motions with your r- recovery with food. Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction to make too, because like sometimes I'll, I'll get contacted by people who have a loved one who who can't stop drinking or can't stop doing drugs or something, and they're like, you know, what's the best rehab to send them to? And I'll just say, save your money if mm-hmm. they're if they're not ready to get sober or or quit. Um, yeah, it's anybody can put on the front for 30 days to make it look like right. they're with it. But if you really, really aren't sick and tired of being sick and tired, yeah, you're gonna. there's some meat left on that bone and you're right. going to keep chewing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's strange because I had that battle in my head of whether I wanted to get better or not. And it got to a point where I was like, well, I'm not doing anything really that they're asking me to. But I think if I just like, Take time off of school and only focus on that, I'll be able to like do the right thing. Because I think really what it was was that uh, I was being pulled in so many different directions. Like I was still running, I was still taking my classes. And it was just like the eating disorder was the only thing I could hold on to to retain that sense of control. It was almost like if I got rid of that, then the bottom would fall out and realize like how depressed I was about everything. Uh, and that's pretty much what happened. Like I took time off from school immediately, like sort of sunk into a deep depression, sort of like flipped from restricting food to binging and then went to get treatment. But it was like very like (laughs) easy to see like that, how closely it was connected to like underlying issues.
1: Yeah, that's the amazing thing about addiction is it's never really about the food or the drink or the sex or the shopping. Mm-hmm. It's it's about the feeling that's inside the shell that right. that provides. Yeah. It's, so what feelings did you discover when you began to stop numbing yourself with
0: Um, food? I think it was very much like all the hopes I had placed on college of like being able to like fit in and like figure out what I wanted to do, what I was passionate about. And I realized I didn't really like school. Like I wasn't passionate about it. I didn't really like running anymore. Like it felt like in college, it was like sort of a different playing field and I didn't really enjoy it anymore. And I was like, what do I have left? Like I don't I don't even know what's left of me as a person to give because those were the only two things I was sort of relying on. Uh, so I just felt like completely like lost. So,
1: so would it be fair to say then that the the thought that you were trying to protect yourself from thinking or feeling by numbing out with food was that my life is really not going to be fun. There's, yeah. n- there's nothing yeah. exciting. Life is not exciting for me. It's mm-hmm. going to be misery until I die.
0: Yeah. It was exactly that. And I was like, that's all there is to it. So I better find something that I can either zone out on or, yeah. I mean, I didn't even feel like I had an option of finding a new thing other than something to sort of like space out with.
1: You just felt like you were somebody that just doesn't enjoy things.
0: Yeah. Like that's the reality. That's how it is.
1: Yeah. I know that feeling. And it's it's like suicide starts to make sense cuz you're like I-, I don't enjoy anything it's yeah. everything is an effort mhm you know getting up is like you know the the only thing that feels not phony is sleep
0: yes yeah i would sleep so long because i just didn't have a reason to get up
1: yeah it's yeah. the only thing i would be excited about it's like okay i'm done with that errand. Yeah. now i can take a nap right right be yeah. like oh yes now i'm myself
0: right right <laughs> now i can relax
1: and you don't know that that's not your real self you know that's that's your that's your depression in its pure form mm-hmm. but you don't you don't know that you think that that's just that's just you and that's the the cards that you've been dealt
0: yeah it was interesting because even when I went to the treatment center for my eating disorder, it's amazing how like people with kind of skewed thinking of like, you know, comparing yourself a lot, uh, just like overanalyzing everything. Like even in that environment where you're just supposed to be focusing on getting better, you're immediately like comparing yourself. Sure. And like, <laughs> like, I just felt like a fraud the whole time I was there because I was like, they're There are girls who have been struggling with this for years and years. And it's like, I just like saunter in for my like like five week recovery and then go back to school. And I just felt like very, like judging myself for a lot of the time I was there.
1: Again, you know, the the ego. Yeah. It's. I'm going to the. You're going to the recovery center? (laughs) I'm going to the recovery center. (laughs) (laughs) Don't leave me here. Yeah. At home. It's,
0: yeah, it's crazy how that you can never really escape that your brain
1: it's amazing it's amazing how powerful and tenacious the Mm -hmm. ego is
0: yeah yeah so i feel like i mean i feel like after that i sort of found comedy uh i mean i didn't really pursue it until after i graduated from college but the weird thing is like the longer I started doing comedy, like it helped with so many things I had been struggling with in terms of like feeling like I didn't fit in and feeling like I didn't know what I was passionate about. But then it was like replaced by other things. Like I feel like anxiety cropped up as this huge thing in my life. The more I did comedy, which I hadn't really struggled with as much before. Um, And now it's like, you know almost more overpowering than my depression so i don't know
1: that's funny because if we think that that person place or thing is going to ease that that anxiety we just find that it's just it's like the terminator it's just shape-shifting it's just going to take another form yeah so how do we deal with that that very core thing which is usually some some version of i don't matter you know the universe hates me or God hates me or there is no God. And this is all just a big chaotic clusterfuck. You Mm -hmm. know, what, what, what for you do you think is the core message that you kind of struggle with inside yourself?
0: Um, yeah, I think it's very similar to everyone does not care for me. And it's strange because before it used to be that I'm invisible, but once you do comedy, you can't really justify it as like, I get on stage with the microphone. Like clearly I'm not invisible, but now it's sort of shifted to, I'm just like a space filler that people need in between things that they actually care about. Oh, that breaks my heart. <laughs> That's like the latest iteration. And just like, I'm not important, but I will fill space so that people can care more about the actual people that they like
1: <laughs> what a that's so that's so that's so mean i know so i'm mean I I very
0: mean inner voice <laughs> yeah it's it's horrible like when i think about the thoughts i like have told myself for many years it's like very like you wouldn't say that to even someone you didn't like no a, a lot uh but it's like that's been my inner monologue for so long i'm like learning now to sort of not go down that path of thinking but it's so hard when it's sort of like in there and like solidified
1: it's so good that you've identified it though and it's in it yeah, I have these moments all the time when I'm interviewing people where that sick core message that they have comes up and and I say I view you as just the opposite of that. You know, I view you and and that's what I want to say to you is I mm-hmm. you walked in the door and you're like this sweet, charming, nice person that exudes warmth and oh, and I goodness. was like I'm I'm happy she came over to do this and and then I hear you say that mean stuff about yourself, and it doesn't matter how many times I could tell you that you yeah. obviously ultimately have to feel that way about yourself. But I just want to say that out loud because it—I hate when people are mean to themselves, mm-hmm. and I and I feel the exact opposite way of, uh, about them.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: You may be a complete cunt once you leave. <laughs> yeah, leave yeah, here, I know. but
0: this is all an act. The, uh,
1: <laughs> you know, th- it. Your your demeanor is so non threatening,
0: <laughs> so sweet. It's good.
1: Um, why would anybody not like you? Why would anybody not like you?
0: Yeah, I don't know what it is because I feel like enough people have told me that that's not true. That like rationally, I can't keep telling myself that. But I guess it it has shifted a little just to that thought of. Oh, people like you, but it's like you're, you know, you're whatever, like garnish, and then other people are like the main entree. Like you're not, you're not. You're enough. good, but yeah.
1: you're not.
0: Yeah, you're yeah. not
1: the the one that people talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I know that. I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ego loves to loves to put you in that in that one because yeah. that way it can shit on anything that that you do because it'll go. You know, for me, it was, yeah, you're on TV, but it's basic cable. Right. You know, yeah. There's
0: always a way to, yeah, shit on yourself.
1: Right. And I think that's one of the dangers of making the pe- a people, place, or thing that's going to save us is because the brain will be able to think of anything to take apart a person, place, or thing. Right. And say that it's, oh, look at this fault that it yeah. has. But if we can... So if we can get to a place where we believe that we're okay exactly as we are in this moment, that we don't need to do anything more, gain anything more, or be anything more. If we can get to that place, then nothing can be cut out Cut
0: yeah. out from,
1: it, it doesn't have any knees to be cut out from underneath.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the latest thought I've been is sort of trying to just uh, wash my brain with, which is just like be okay with now and don't put it in any kind of a context or like on any kind of a scale like it's just okay no matter what happens like you have a bad sad like a stranger honks at you like no matter what it's fine like everything is just okay
1: yeah if somebody close to you dies that's part of life Mm -hmm. you know it's it's But it's so hard. It's so hard to get to that place and to and to, and to stay in that place and, I, yeah. and to believe it, because you can do it kind of intellectually. Yeah. But to feel it, that's that's the goal for me, is to not only think these things but feel them to my to my core. And I have experienced that, so I know it's not bullshit. But it's work.
0: Yeah, and sometimes immediately when I have that feeling of like okayness, I'll immediately be like. How do I bottle this yes, <laughs> so yes. I can come back to it? Because I'm g- not going to have this for very long.
1: Do you have moments when your depression kind of gives way to an excitement about life?
0: Yeah, I've, uh, I mean, I've actually not successfully written a bit about this, but been trying to where sometimes I'll be depressed and then not even remember what it was about and then i'll like be trying to find a way to like go back into it like sort of take that exit again right. for no reason
1: oh my god i've done that a million times in my mind i'll have a day where i have vigor about life mm-hmm. and and then i will try like uh, you know a fucking pathologist yeah going through what did i eat the, yeah, the two yeah, days before yeah. that, what? Let's. What time of year is it? Yeah. Is it, it was I getting sunlight? Was it? And then it, it's just. It's so tiring sometimes. I know. Not it's, knowing why.
0: Yeah. Why you need to do that constantly?
1: And people that don't have mental illness don't understand that. You know, if you're if you're a diabetic, or you know, you have some other type of thing that fits within certain parameters and is understood while it certainly has its you know its own trials and tribulations mm-hmm. you know the box that it fits into and there's right. a logic to it but mental illness is it it it's just it doesn't fit into a box and yeah. there's not an inherent logic to it that makes it so ephemeral and difficult to know where the truth is
0: right yeah like the the yeah the lines keep shifting of where yeah
1: and what you were what you were convinced a, a month ago was true you now realize oh no that's not the case at all i'm back to square fucking one
0: yeah 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 it's very much like a backslide and i i often will just like pick people to like compare myself to and it's like it's almost like celebrity culture where it's like this whole month is about this person and like, why I don't measure up to this person. And then it'll be like the next month. Oh, like forget that person. It's this person I should be worried about. And it's like so arbitrary and it doesn't like, if I step, if I have the clarity to step back from it, I'm like, none of this makes sense. It's so random, but I get so caught up in it that I can't see that.
1: One of the things that, I catch my ego doing is comparing how many Twitter people f- oh, follow yeah. me and then and it's just fleeting but like you have like what 10,000 Twitter yeah, followers something, like, something that. like that. Yeah. Now in my mind I think if I had more Twitter followers there would be a certain sense of safety or or peace that that I would have. Yet you're sitting here with three times the number of Twitter followers that I have, and going through the same thing. So there, there is no, yeah. there is no finish line where the switch flicks on and you're like, ah, oh,
0: I know, I'm done, I've arrived, <laughs> yeah, I don't have to worry about this anymore, I'm finished. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so it never ends, and I think the longer I've been in sort of the entertainment industry I realize there is nothing I can accomplish that will get rid of the way I like to destroy my myself and I have to find another way to approach things because there's just no way I can like continue on this path Cause I feel like I'll end up back where after high school, like just being like, this isn't enough. I am not happy anymore.
1: How did you treat your depression?
0: I went to a therapist. Um, I've sort of cycled through a few different meds um, and sort of arrived at, at uh, Lexapro, which I'm on now, but I've had sort of a weird experience with therapy. Like I, I really enjoyed going to it and I, very much support the idea of it. But I feel like I fall into that weird category of people pleasing where I will go to a therapist who isn't necessarily right for me and then will be afraid to say, oh, maybe I need a different therapist. And you just don't keep hurt their feelings. going. <laughs> right. Yeah. And just keep going and maybe not really be getting anything out of it.
1: Are you ever afraid to ter- tell your therapist things about your life? Do you hold stuff back?
0: Yes. I feel like I have recently gotten a little better at telling them things, but it's very much like every session is kind of square one where I have to warm up a little. And then will I be sort of brave enough to get into that stuff right away? Uh, But there's still some areas where I feel like very sort of guarded and like panicky about talking about them. And that's probably from, you know, from childhood.
1: This is probably a stupid question, but can you talk about any of those?
0: Oh, just like, I think a lot around sexuality and like, yeah, I think that's the main area where I feel most like sort of out of my element, but like even as a person, like I don't talk about that stuff a lot on stage because I don't think I've ever, my identity has been strongly tied to my sexuality, so it's really hard for me to sort of open up about it and not immediately feel like I am uh sort of disgusting the other person their like idea of me cuz I think I get sort of infantilized sometimes either because I look young or my voice so I don't I feel like people don't want to hear that from me.
1: It's amazing how different your take on yourself is. You know, you're this healthy vibrant attractive woman and and you have these thoughts about yourself that
0: (sighs) (laughs) it's it's weird but it makes me feel better that it's like other people also have those thoughts about themselves yeah
1: that there is comfort in knowing that i was in a support group one time and we were and it it just happened to be there was like eight of us And it happened to be like these three really attractive Mm -hmm. people. And all three in a row, they talked about how much they hate themselves. And I suddenly realized, oh my God, it's, this is something inside us that has nothing to do with what we look like. There is no weight loss, no pectoral muscles no yeah. nothing fixing this this is this has to be remedied by by something else and i felt i felt like all of a sudden i was in this really awesome weird club <laughs> that that was really special because these people were being so honest and they're so vulnerable and so emotionally naked and I don't know. I don't know how to how to describe it. Have you ever have you ever had an experience like that where you feel a a, a connection, a deep connection to people like in a in a support group or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I think I personally like if I cry in front of another person I feel very connected to them because I feel very self-conscious about it so if I'm able to sort of let my guard down in that respect I feel like they are seeing a part of me that I'm so generally so careful about so I feel a little bit less uh, anxious than I normally do about how they're perceiving me, because I'm sort of able to not worry about it to the extent that I'm just able to feel the emotion and not sort of first filter it through what is this person thinking of right. me.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Where, let's let's go into your ego for a second. Mm-hmm. If your ego got everything that it wanted, paint the life that you, that, that you would have.
0: I think, I feel like it keeps changing because now I feel like my brain has convinced me that I have certain limitations and I have to operate within them. So it's almost like I've pared down my dreams a little bit. Uh, but I think. Is that a
1: good thing, a bad thing, or, or in between?
0: I think it's in between because I don't know how much of it is being reasonable versus. Uh, my brain won one of the battles or the negative part of my brain won one of the battles. Uh, I think ultimately, I mean, I just want to accept myself. Like that's more what I care about than external things. At least that's how I feel at, at this point in my life. I don't know if I'll change. I mean, I worry very much about sort of getting caught up in the all the external trappings of, of show business. But but ultimately, I don't think any of that will mean anything if I don't like myself.
1: Yeah. Do you think you're lovable?
0: I feel like I've been called that, but I have such a hard time accepting it. <laughs> like really really tough time i'll immediately think of five people i'm like these people are lovable i'm something else
1: that that would be one of the one of the words that i would use to describe you when you when you thanks when you you walked in the door it's like you just have this lovable energy to you
0: oh thank you that's so nice
1: it's true it's true you know and I, i i don't say that to to everybody, because I'll be honest, I bumped into some people where I'm like, I can't wait to get out of the room. Oh no! You know, I'm not necessarily people I've interviewed on this yeah. show, but but in general. So I'm not I'm not just blowing smoke. I mean, mental illness is a motherfucker. Yeah, it <laughs> it's really a is, motherfucker. Yeah, and you know what's hard sometimes is knowing which dial. We need to adjust on it. Is it the meds? Is it exercise? Is it diet? Is is it support groups? Is it prayer and meditation? Is it uh, how I'm thinking about myself? Am I putting too much pressure? Am I getting too goal-oriented? Am I not goal-oriented enough and I'm drifting?
0: Yeah, it's so many things. And I also feel like I get mad at myself for not doing everything I can to work on it. Like I feel like I've sort of fallen into a comfort zone of oh i go to therapy i take my meds that should be enough but not really figuring out other ways like i i would love to try meditation but i keep just not making it a priority and and yeah i think i fall into that pattern of people who want things very badly but come up with 50 reasons why they can't do it right now
1: one of the things that that i think is great about meditation is it really introduces you to your thoughts and what mm-hmm. you obsess on because you know the goal of it is obviously that you want to try to clear your mind but you know 70 percent of the time your mind is going to oh fuck, Wait, what about this you know what what, what about that i need to mm-hmm. i need to take care of this i need to t- take care of that and if you're doing that 20 minutes every morning after a couple of months and you begin to notice your thought is always going to this group of thoughts, Right. you then begin to get some clarity on your mental state, where your priorities are, Mm -hmm. what you think is important, what you think is going to save you. Mm -hmm. So then you can look at that thing and you can say, oh, I think that my career is going to save me. No wonder I'm feeling a little crazy.
0: Right. I yeah.
1: I need to find some other kind of healthy way to to calm myself down other than painting a fantasy picture about walking down a red carpet uh, yeah, you know yeah, or whatever yeah. whatever yeah. the fantasy is so that's that's one of the things that I get from from meditation and it it to me it just kind of helps the rhythm of the things that I do there's there's less of an urgency and a kind of I'm late Quality. Oh, man. two things. Yeah. You know, like doing the dishes. Like, oh, fuck, I got to get through these dishes. because yeah, yeah. You know, everybody's passing me by.
0: Right. Right. And no, it, that's great.
1: And it just becomes more of, I'm going to enjoy washing the dishes because they need to be done. Yeah. I accept that. I live in a world where dishes don't <laughs> clean themselves. Right. <laughs> and uh yeah i think well, you know what maybe i'll put on uh, my ipod and and listen yeah. to some music and try to make it a better experience that's that's kind of what i get from yeah from meditation is it's easier to get into that headspace
0: yeah that seems really helpful i think yeah i think my one i love
1: that i'm telling an indian person about <laughs> <I> meditation <know.
0: laughs> It'll it it is a magical moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: though you're not technically an Indian, <laughs> is there any word that I could have chosen better? An Indian person? I mean, <laughs> that just that just felt awkward.
0: <laughs> my mom, a person of
1: Indian descent.
0: Yes, that works. Yeah. yeah, my mom swears by it though. She's always she's always like trying to get my sister and I into it more, and I think that might be where some of the resistance comes from. Yeah. Just when someone's, like, pushing something on you, you're a
1: little less... Especially a parent. Yeah. Especially a parent. And yeah. it's, some of them can't can't see that.
0: Yeah. It's always well-intentioned in our case, but...
1: It is, but there's all that baggage from the yeah, past. Yeah. Of, yeah. Exactly. So how long... Do you feel like you're pretty clean with your food these days?
0: Yeah. I mean, the food... I mean, I think I get caught up in maybe just, like, trying to eat healthier, but I don't think my eating is is a manifestation anymore of like my emotions or
1: anything do you feel that there is the potential for joy and love in your future
0: i think so i think i i ultimately just want the ability to Step back from the sort of hustle and bustle of life and and be okay with everything. I think I think a big thing that I just feel caught up in these days is a lack of time. Uh even when I you know, only have like two things to do in a day, I somehow feel like there's not enough time. So I don't know where it's all going. But uh it just feels like there's less and less of it. Somehow. I got to go to the
1: bank at 1 and bring the laundry in at 5. Yeah. Yeah. How the fuck am I going to get <laughs> I <know>. this done?
0: <laughs> I don't know what it is. It just feels like a lack of being present in just existing, which is kind of scary if if you feel like you'll wake up and it'll be like 50 years later and you don't know where what happened. Uh so I I just want to be able to experience things and not be just caught up in like a, a a voice of judgment on everything, but actually be able to experience things on some level without having a judgment on it.
1: Yeah, you know the my experience has been that my life prior to have, having really deep meaningful relationships with people almost felt like that escalator at Caesar's Palace where oh. where there's just kind of like. Uh, little phony dioramas on either side of (laughs) you and talking statues that Mm -hmm. are where it just feels very artificial Yeah. And, and then since being in support groups and stuff like that and having much deeper meaningful relationships and being able to be vulnerable and cry in front of people and stuff like that I feel much more like oh I'm into life now. I'm everything is much more alive and everything is much more real. And yeah, sometimes it hurts a little more, Mm -hmm. um, but there's also more joy. And I feel like I can finally feel my life instead of feeling numb and just watching it kind of pass and go, what am I doing wrong?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I have a big, uh, sort of, uh, Obstacle in my brain surrounding work. I don't know if it's that I grew up in a very work-oriented household, but there's a lot of like resistance that has come up gradually over the years around like being productive and doing work. And like I just have a like really bad procrastination habit. I mean, I, I know a lot of people struggle with procrastination, but I really feel like it's to the point where I will never get things done that I want that I care about
1: I can't imagine how intimidating it's got to be to have two parents that are doctors
0: yeah yeah I mean I never really think of it in that way but I think a lot of it is just a fear of not of failure and whatever I produce will not be good enough so therefore it's easier never to start
1: I watched some of your stand up it made me laugh Oh, thank you're, I looked at your credits. You've got a a dozen TV credits. Is that not successful? That that you you're making people laugh. You're making your living. I think as it's, a stand-up comedian.
0: Yeah, I think it's just easier to say uh, to not be satisfied or to to feel like you're you can improve in some area. And I and I I think it's. I just fall into that habit of being like, well, this person is doing this and I am so far behind.
1: Why, why do those things, and I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you, why do those two things have to be mutually exclusive? Why can't it be? We, I am successful and I'm still working on improving my craft.
0: Yeah, that's true. I feel like it, they, yeah, I feel like they are two separate things. I don't know why I don't know why I feel like the need to lump them together. I think it's a fear of being overly proud of myself and that it will somehow spiral into an ego monster.
1: Yeah. That yeah. seems to be something that comes up a lot with uh people that have parents that were immigrants. There seems to be very much a um uh Don't get too big for your britches. Uh, yeah, you're fully yourself if you're if you're proud.
0: Yeah, I yeah I think that's like really true. Like you're just supposed to be your best self, but don't draw attention to it. Mm-hmm. It's a strange. Yeah, it's a strange. Keep
1: your head down and work your ass off.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the overall like benefit of that is but I guess it's just that you don't want to like you don't want someone to like take it away from you or something
1: yeah I mean there's a there's certainly I I have respect for hard-working people but what's the point of life if we can't I don't know find something other than an incredible work ethic right <laughs> to right, get up right. for to get up for in the morning
0: yeah Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of immigrants uh, put their their goals in line with supporting their family and like their children. So that's probably a big part of like my parents goals. But it's like once my sister and I grew up and left the house, they kind of had to like figure out their goals again because it had so long just been like Hmm. be successful so that your kids can have a good future And now that we're kind of on our own, they have to, like, rebuild their identities a little
1: bit. I also imagine, too, um, some of the families that have emigrated are coming from places where it was a government that you did not want to attract attention to yourself. Oh, that's true, yeah. So you wanted to kind of keep your head down and work your ass off. Yeah, And
0: that's true, too. that
1: was not only, you know, morally kind of a good thing to do but in terms of survival kind of a smart
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a
1: smart mode to uh to get into um any other things that you'd like to touch on um any seminal moments that we've uh, skipped
0: I don't think so not that are coming to mind okay. at the moment
1: Do you want to do a fear off and a love off Sure all right I don't think I've done this one I'm going to be reading the, the fears of a listener named uh, Melissa. Okay. And I'll kick it off with hers. She says, I'm afraid of the gate that goes up and down to let you into the parking lots. I always think it will drop down on my car.
0: Oh, that's a good one. I fear that I am too self-involved to ever be there for other people in a sincere way.
1: I'm afraid of lightning and storms, like super phobia level. I will plan my whole day around it, and it is still not as bad as when I was a kid.
0: I fear that I will never be able to express my emotions freely.
1: I'm afraid people I love might find out a random bitchy thing I said or wrote about them like when I was 11, (gasps) and and then they'll hate me.
0: I fear that I will never learn to manage my money and will always depend on my parents.
1: I'm afraid all the students I teach make fun of me behind my back.
0: I'm afraid that I will never be taken seriously as an artist or person.
1: Uh, I'm afraid that I am so ugly and no one has the guts to tell me.
0: I fear that I will never be able to stand up for myself when I don't agree with someone.
1: I'm afraid I will die in my sleep.
0: I am afraid that I'm a terribly uninspiring dancer.
1: (laughs) That's a good one. I've never got, we've never had that one before. That's awesome. Uh, My biggest fear is getting Alzheimer's disease and forgetting everyone and everything in turn, making my life worthless.
0: I'm afraid that I will never be able to have kids because I don't feel like I can even take care of myself.
1: I'm afraid of the possibility of nothingness after death.
0: I'm afraid that I'm getting closer and closer to my limitations.
1: Uh, I'm afraid that I will be alone forever. And by the way, uh, I think there is a beauty in learning our limitations because then the number of things that we sit and fantasize and obsess about uh, becomes smaller.
0: Yeah. I, I actually, yeah, when I wrote that one, I thought, I don't know if that's a bad thing, but I feel like I'm afraid of it.
1: I personally I think it's a I think it's a good healthy thing.
0: Yeah. Cuz you don't want to do everything. Right? <laughs> mm.
1: Is it your turn or my turn? I can't remember.
0: I don't remember.
1: I'm afraid that I am such a weirdo that nobody will ever get as sexually invested in a relationship as I would.
0: Hmm, That's a good one. I I am afraid that I am weird but not weird enough.
1: <laughs> that's a great one. Uh, I am afraid that I will never have a normal secure body image and that my obsession with my weight and looks is so pathetic for someone my age.
0: I am afraid that I am becoming an angrier person because of an underlying truth that I haven't figured out yet.
1: Oh, that's a deep one. <laughs> Sometimes when driving on the road I get scared I will get in a car accident and then I think I will get in an accident because I thought of it, which makes me more scared.
0: Hmm. I'm afraid that I am not good at the parts of comedy that I love watching the most.
1: I'm afraid my therapist and others put up with me because they feel they have to.
0: I think it was all the ones I had.
1: Good, let's go to the, uh, to the loves. Uh, I'm going to be reading... Uh, Loves from listeners that, um, well, listeners and others uh, from a Facebook thread that I started. You want to start? Sure. Um,
0: I love the peaceful feeling of being in transit when you don't have to be somewhere on time.
1: Antonio Fernandez says, I love writing a poem that ends with such beautiful words that they take the air out of the reader's gut and makes them feel something they've never felt before, like a sweet sucker punch from an older sibling or schoolyard bully.
0: Hmm. I love when a friend adds something onto a hangout session, like a movie, and then going home to watch more TV with them.
1: Is that like as in a Google Hangout?
0: No, like a real person hangout. Oh, okay. Yeah, like if you schedule something but then you guys decide to do something else that oh. you hadn't planned.
1: Oh yeah. Those are nice. Yeah. Like you go out to dinner with a a couple or something and yeah. then you're like, Hey, let's go let's go do this. Yeah. And then I say no when we don't <laughs> Uh <laughs> Katie Hoffman says I love the butt warmer in my car.
0: I love the feeling of a puppy's stomach fur.
1: Um I love that too. Brian Temple says, I love that I've gotten a second chance at a dream job and it's just as much fun as I thought it'd be. Lucky guy.
0: Yeah. I love when a song you like comes on another radio station after you just heard it.
1: Kelly Cracker says, I love Kerrygold butter.
0: I love the sound of flowing water in someone's backyard.
1: Claire Lafar says, I love listening to WC." while lying in bed. Am I pronouncing that correctly? The classical composer, Debussy?
0: Yeah, Debussy.
1: I love listening to Debussy while lying in bed.
0: I love writing people handwritten letters.
1: Kimberly Rice Dewart, I think I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. I love when I step away from a party I'm having to go to the bathroom or put my kids to bed and I hear the abstract, lively energy of people engaging but no distinct words or conversations. That is a great one.
0: That is a really great one. I love when someone uh, tries to get your name right at a party.
1: How many. What's the worst in, incarnation of your name that people have mangled?
0: Oh, there's so many. I don't even know. Uh, Do you have
1: anxiety when you get ready to tell people your name because you know there's going to be like a 10 second.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of times they just. I feel like it's on me because I didn't say it loud enough. Uh, But then they'll usually ask for it a few times and then be like, I'm probably not going to remember that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh, Whose turn is it?
0: I think it's yours.
1: Okay. Uh, Bridget Crowder says, I honestly and truly love macaroni and cheese.
0: Mm. I love running into someone you... No, at an event where you didn't think you'd know anyone there.
1: Oh, that is nice. I love that. Yeah. Um, Nikki B says, I love whenever my roommates' kids say my name with enthusiasm, excitement, recognition, and purpose. Every time I hear it, I feel necessary and alive. That's oh. a beautiful one.
0: I love lying on the floor.
1: That is, I, that is such a sublimely nice <gasps> I thing.
0: I don't know what it is. I Sometimes I, I just think about it, and I don't even do it. It makes me feel better. I don't know why. I get
1: it. Uh, Rochelle Ellsbury says, I love finding a song that perfectly fits my mood.
0: I love wandering around a new neighborhood by myself.
1: Uh, and hello, Rochelle, by the way. Um, Julie Westgate says... Uh, I love the feeling of relief that comes when an animal rescue I am part of goes successfully. Oh. That is a good one.
0: Yeah. I love buying people gifts for no particular reason.
1: Oh, that's sweet. You are lovable. Oh.
0: (laughs) Sometimes you see something and you think of a particular person.
1: I'm going to make it your mission to feel better about yourself (laughs) and by that I mean after you leave I'm not going to ever do anything. (laughs) Colleen Coughlin Taylor says I love warm apple pie with ice cream.
0: I think those were all of mine.
1: Uh, And then I'm going to close with this last one from Zoe Whitehouse who says I love smiling at old people. It makes them go all bright and twinkly.
0: Oh what
1: a nice one to end on. That's a
0: great one.
1: Aperna Nanchurla Yes. And I pronounced it correctly. Yes. Thank you so much for just being uh sweet and open and honest and sharing your life with me and the listeners and uh coming here to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh,
0: thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing this podcast.
1: Many, many thanks to Aparna. Um we recorded that a little while ago, so I, uh, as I like to do with my guests, I send them a follow-up email, let them know their episode's going up, and ask them for an update. And she's, uh, she's been having a pretty rough year depression-wise uh, lately. Uh, she got her meds bumped up, but um, she feels like she's, she's moving forward, and she was actually uh, traveling in India uh, as uh, she sent me the email. And uh, I probably should have told her to spread my insight about meditation around, uh, around India, because I, I think I can help those people. I think I can help that country be a little more spiritual. Before we get to uh, some emails and surveys, I want to remind you there's a couple of different ways to support this show. If you feel so inclined, go to the website, mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter handle you can uh, follow me at. Uh, but go to metalpod.com and you can make a one-time PayPal donation or my absolute favorite. Uh become a recurring monthly donor, which helps keep the show afloat. Um, you can sign up for as little as five bucks a month. It's uh super simple. Um you can just do it on PayPal. Um and uh yeah, couldn't couldn't be easier, and it means the world to me. Uh, you can also support us by shopping at Amazon through our search portal on our homepage, on our right-hand side, about halfway down. Make sure your ad blocker isn't on, and uh, Amazon will give us a couple of nickels if you buy something, and it doesn't uh, add any any commission to your bill. Amazon pays us. Um, you can also buy coffee mugs, T-shirts uh, at our uh, through our site um, with the Mental Illness Happy Hour logo on it. And uh, you can support us non-financially by uh, giving us a good iTunes review, writing something nice about it, or spreading the word through social media, which actually is a big deal um, that really, really helps bring new listeners. All right. Enough of my yakking. Let's get to it. This is an email that I got from... uh, She calls herself G. Uh, I think she's female. I could be wrong. But... um, She writes, uh, I have an unusual request for you to give you some background. Uh, I'm a PhD uh, math student with bipolar one disorder. Unfortunately, academia rewards the sort of behaviors that induce manic episodes, then rewards the manic behaviors themselves. Um, you're expected to forego sleep, exercise, and pretty much anything else that makes controlling bipolar disorder possible in favor of relentless research. This year, I had a severe manic episode that cost me a semester of work, which was directly caused by a period of extreme overwork. I'm not sure how to approach graduate school in a healthy manner. To make matters worse, my department and many others um, is notoriously bad at understanding and accommodating mental health problems. I'm afraid to confide and any of my professors, or give them even a hint of what's going on for fear of losing my funding. Wow, this sounds a lot like the military. Uh, yes, it's theoretically protected by the ADA, but grad students lose funding all the time for a variety of reasons, and I would really have no avenue to protest. I'm also one of the only, yes, only female math grad students at my university, so admitting a mental disorder would crack the fragile ice I'm already on. So, my request is this. I'm looking for someone with bipolar or other serious mental disorders, major depression, schizophrenia, etc., who has a graduate degree and has been at least somewhat successful in academia. I know it's a very specific request, but I'm truly desperate to make some connection with someone, and I figured you are my best bet. Thank you in advance. And uh, she says it's okay to read uh, her email address aloud, and uh, it is bipolargradstudent at gmail.com. Again, bipolar student at gmail.com. I hope uh, hope you get some people sharing their experience and uh, some hope with you. This is um this is an awful moment filled out by uh I'd assume he's from Seattle. He calls himself Seahawk and uh He is in his thirties and his awfulsome moment, he writes, In my extended family of hot-headed Hispanics, I am known as the quiet one with the level head. I am never one to freak out or lose my cool about things. However, one time I was playing paintball with my brother and some friends. We were playing a capture-the-flag game in a large wooded area. The size of the area was such that there weren't enough referees to keep an eye on all the actions, so there was a bit of an honor system involved where you were supposed to call yourself out if you got hit, but the ref didn't see you. My brother and one of his buddies and I were making good ground advancing towards the other team's base. I saw someone on the other team and nailed him with a shot. Only no referee saw him get hit, so he kept on going as if nothing had happened. I don't know where this came from, but the injustice ha, of it caused something in me to snap. I stood up from my partially covered position, pointed at the guy, and screamed at the top of my lungs, hey, I got you, motherfucker, I got you. At that moment, I could see simultaneously in my brother's face looks of utter shock that I had lost it, annoyance that I had blown of all all of our work and cover by screaming like a madman, and utter amusement while he took turns between howling with laughter and asking what the fuck I was doing. I should probably mention the fact that I was a grown man in his 30s with a white-collar job screaming at some teenager who was probably going to be picked up by his parents afterwards and taken for pizza with his friends. I felt that maybe beneath all of that supposed coolness, I could have some rage issues. (laughs) Thank you for that. This is an email I got from um, a woman named Kenzie. And she writes, Hey, Polly G. I'll jump right to it. I was sexually abused as a young kid in a very neglectful family. I had the usual struggles with depression, self-mutilation, body dysmorphia, jumping out of moving vehicles, all the usual teenage girl activities. I was put on Prozac, which hadn't been tested on kids my age for obvious reasons. Because of the neglect, I was responsible responsible for making sure I took my meds, of course. I'd miss them two or three at a time and go batshit crazy until I just stopped taking them altogether. My husband deployed for a year and I immediately crashed into a deep depression and anxiety. Finally decided to get help after being a listener um, since the beginning. I was referred for medication. Started with Effexor, moved to Celexa, then on to Prozac, then Prozac with Wellbutrin, then increased Wellbutrin. I had a psych checkup yesterday, and despite me saying I don't feel better and had a meltdown in therapy over Robin Williams and how he was the last thing connecting me to my grandfather, no adjustments were made. See ya in two months. I went home and told my husband, and he said, I think you just want more meds. I almost blacked out and roundhouse kicked him in the dick. I know these things take time. It's been roughly six weeks on this current cocktail, and I feel no change. How the hell? Am I supposed to muster the energy to continue my monthly psyche evals, bi-weekly therapy, prescription costs, etc., when nothing seems to pull me out of the rabbit hole? It's kind of a bitch to be depressed, then finally ask for help, and get more depressed, because that highly anticipated help hasn't kicked in. I know you did or do plenty of med hopping. How the fuck did you find the energy and will to stay the course of being a elaborate? By the way, my mom denies my awful childhood with all her might. She used visitation with me as a method of manipulating my family. Long story short, she is a thunder cunt. Does your mom want to have tea with her? Thanks for letting me take a brain dump. You would be a great blogger, by the way. You are—you have a great sense of humor and, and directness. And, oh my God, do I relate to your email. It takes such patience. Healing. Healing and dealing with depression and mental illness and the meds and waiting for this one to work. And I can't tell you how many times I've waited six weeks just praying to God, this is going to be the cocktail that works, only to have it not work. And maybe even have side effects, dry mouth, insomnia. You know, I I don't have any answer to that other than just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Um, It's... uh, it's just one step at a time and try to be compassionate with yourself and and have a support network of people that that won't tell you that you're being a baby or to just snap out of it or tell you that you want more meds. You know, some people just don't understand. So sending you a hug and some love and letting you know that you are not the only one that goes through that. But you are the only one I've ever heard call their mom a thunder cunt. You're a terrible person. Um... My mom is actually a thunder and lightning cunt. (laughs) I feel terrible sometimes talking about my mom like that. She's not a cunt. She's a sick child of God who happens to be a cunt. She's not a cunt. I'm feeling terrible now that I'm saying this stuff. I can't resist, though. All right, this is an awful moment filled out by uh, Liz, and she writes My mom passed away unexpectedly at the end of June, but luckily she'd always been open about what she wanted for her quote, celebration of life, including burning CDs of the songs she wanted and giving them to her friends. A close friend, was with us during the week we spent waiting for my mom's heart to finally give out, and my aunt mentioned a blue notebook my mom had been writing in. The day mom passed, a friend of mine had taken the three-hour drive to be with us, and she drove me back to my hometown to see if we could find this notebook. We did, and I couldn't help but laugh when I started going through it. Amongst random shopping lists and plans for a fundraiser she was working on was her, quote, plan. This plan not only had what she wanted my sister and I to say about her, but who would say what and in what order. Also, why she chose the th- the songs that she did. Something that always drove me crazy about my mom was her to-the-minute itinerary she planned for any trips we went on. But this time, it saved us so much stress in planning her service. After all, she basically did all the work for us. That's awesome. Awful I should say. By the way, it's about 100 degrees in my office right now and I'm drinking hot tea because I am dumb this is a Shaman's Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Emery she is straight in her 20s raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment never been sexually abused but she has been emotionally abused Um, darkest thoughts I read a lot of novels where the protagonist has been raped slash abused and somebody swoops in to save them Uh, because I wish more than anything I had somebody to care for me in that way. I wish the abuse I've endured was more than emotional, because maybe that way people would take me seriously and care a little more. Darkest Secrets. When I was 17, I told my male teacher that I was being molested by my father, which was a lie. I have always had a problem with lying to get attention, because it seemed like it was the only way people would notice me. Anyway, I never quite came out and said that I was molested, just kind of hinted. So the teacher got strangely close to me, spending after hours with me and holding my hand, spending time alone with me, then once kissed me on the lips while laying in bed together at his house because I, quote, couldn't bear to be at home. I got exactly what I wanted by lying, especially from an older male, because I have never had a relationship with my father. In fact, my father is mentally ill and had been homeless. Of course, eventually the truth came out and I admitted to lying to him and my mother. My mother has never treated me the same since. Even when I cut myself and showed her the scars to express how sorry and dead inside I feel, she closed the door on me that night and has never opened it again. This was 10 years ago, but I think about it every day. What a sorry excuse of a human I am to lie like that and still lie on a daily basis. That male teacher is still in my life. He smiles at me when we see each other, but that's about it. It hurts to see him. Um... Her sexual fantasies include sex with older men. Um, In my head, I imagine them being a friend's dad and or uh, elder in some way. Uh, what if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my mom that I do not understand why she had so many children with a mentally unstable man who kept us isolated as children and that she could have at least let me go to school to get a break instead of homeschooling and even that she didn't do. It was an every man fend for himself kind of deal. I would tell her that she cares about the children at the school she teaches at more than her own children. What do you wish for? For parents that give a fuck about me and a childhood that was normal. Have you shared these things with others? A bit with my husband, but this is the first time I've ever been this honest. How do you feel after writing these things down? Pathetic. I'm sorry that one wasn't uh, wasn't more more upbeat, but um, it really moved me. It it because you were so abandoned by. You know, it's understandable that most parents freak out about the part of something that isn't really the issue and they miss the underlying issue. You know, the underlying issue is why is my child lying to get attention instead of how can I make sure that they never lie again? See, that's what your mom thinks she's doing. She thinks that she's teaching you a lesson and... That's so fucked up because you know any parent with emotional intelligence is going to go oh my poor child needs more love and attention that's what I'm gonna give them and I think they should also encourage you to deal with the pathologic line because that's a that's a, a disorder or an issue like any other addiction and that's where your responsibility is Emory is to get help for that. And uh, you're probably not going to be able to change your mom, but you can change the way you feel about yourself and how you deal with the world. Um, And I have the feeling if you start to heal from that, that pain of not having a parent give a fuck about you in a childhood that was abnormal, I have the feeling that pain will start to ease and you won't feel weighed down by it. Um, This is an email I got from a guy uh, who, let's see, what does he want to be called? I think he wants to be called Nick. Um, And he writes, "Uh, it's been a while since I listened to the podcast. Uh, uh, By the way, love to to read that as the first sentence. Uh, It really helped me while I was struggling with depression and anxiety, but since I've been doing better. Anyway, here's my problem. My girlfriend has been depressed a lot lately. And the other night she was acting very suicidal when I was talking to her. As a result, I ended up overreacting and calling 911. She's fine, but lashes out at me over the incident. Anytime I try to help or encourage her, I'm met with hostility. She also refuses to get help from her college's mental health services. I want her to get help because I worry for her safety, because trying to make her constantly feel better is incredibly emotionally draining. What do I do? She's been really supportive of me in graduating and trying to find a job after college, so I don't want to break up with her, but it's hard for me to be emotionally supportive of someone who isn't going to get help. And how do I help her get the help she needs? And I wrote him back and said, in a nutshell, you can't help her if she doesn't want it. Take care of yourself. If she's draining you and won't get help, break up with her. Even if she hurts herself, it's not your fault. She may have to get worse before she admits she needs help. And sometimes the kindest thing people around someone like that can do is distance themselves from that person, but let them know why you're doing it. If enough people do that, they will eventually realize everybody can't be wrong. People have an obligation to their partners to take care of their health, and that includes mental health. If you're not willing to walk away from someone who refuses help, then you should absolutely seek help for yourself because you might have codependency issues. And check out uh, NAMI.org for some more insights and maybe a support group. And uh, NAMI is N-A-M-I dot org. This is an awful moment filled out by... uh, Hold on. I'm I'm starting to cool off a little bit. Let me take a sip of some boiling hot tea. Mmm. Oh. Like I'm sitting on a briquette. This is filled out by Lily. And she writes, My boyfriend and I had spent a lovely afternoon together drinking Bloody Marys and reading the newspapers. We got hungry and decided to go for a curry. We had a delicious meal and decided to walk the four miles home to round off our evening. I suffer from some IBS-type symptoms. Of course, you know where this is going. And normally, I'm not a a fan of the awfulsome moments that involve this, but um, bear with me. Um, Or should I say bear down with me? I suffer from some IBS-type symptoms and never know what's going to set it off. After walking about a mile, I felt the familiar stomach gurgle. I usually have time to get to a toilet, and so we began to walk a little faster. The gurgle sped up, and so did I, desperate to get myself to a loo. We were all 300 meters from a pub when I realized I couldn't make it any further. Luckily, it was dark, and I jumped behind trees, pulled my pants and tights down. Just his torrents of liquid shot out of my bum. It went everywhere, including over my underwear and tights, a pantyhose. I ended up abandoning those in the bushes and cleaning off my legs with leaves. By the way, what a present that was for the homeowner. Uh, The whole time, my boyfriend uh, stood on the other side of the trees, and he was only concerned if I was okay. He knows exactly what was going on, and he only felt sorry for me. He was really understanding and caring, and it helped me to realize that I can be normal and completely myself and still be loved and found sexy. Totally awfulsome, Absolutely. Thank you for that, Lily. Um, and I got to say, that person's lawn right there is probably lush. It probably looks like the Brazilian rainforest right there. There's probably even a tiny grove of banana trees growing in your, in your little sh- shat ghetto. Um, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Kai and uh she's pansexual she's 19 raised in a slightly uh dysfunctional environment uh ever been the victim of sexual abuse some stuff happened but i don't know if it counts uh when i was very young a teenage aunt and i were playing at being mother and baby with myself as the baby at some point we ended up underneath the covers of a bed and she got me to suck on her breasts to simulate breastfeeding. I completely forgot all about this until I was 16, and she completely denies this happened. I'm not sure if I'm twisting an, an, an innocuous childhood memory into something else. I uh, ever been physically or emotionally abused? Um, not sure. My relationship with my mother is weird. I feel uncomfortable and unsafe around her, and I'm not able to provide the emotional support she wants from me. Um, I... I don't know why a parent is looking for emotional support from uh, a parent or a child, by the way, um, unless that you know parent is elderly. Um, anyway, I probably wouldn't describe our relationship as being emotional incest, but I'm always drawn to and always relate uh, a lot to episodes of the podcast where mother-child emotional incest is discussed, so I'm not sure. Uh, Darkest thoughts? I think about murder and suicide a lot. I definitely fantasize about killing a lot of people or burning down my house with my family still inside. I also have a near constant desire to self-harm in a really dramatic way. I'm talking about stuff like ripping my veins out. It's pretty awful. Darkest secrets? I'm not sure. I don't think anything's happened to me, really. I don't think uh, the sexual fantasies are really matter for this one um anything you'd like to say to someone you have been able to uh, i'd like to tell my brother he's a fucking control freak Uh, i tell my mom to go to a therapist i tell my dad that while it's not his fault that my autistic hypersensitivity really fucks me up could he please just never touch me ever again because jesus christ man i can't deal with that shit um what if anything do you wish for to feel like i have independence and agency to be a healthy weight, and more importantly, to like what I see in the mirror, to be able to not have to hide or to keep it together all the time for a real end to the kind of societal shit that's been keeping me down all my life. Racism, misogyny, homophobia, ableism. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared bits and pieces of this with my psychologist. Not all of it, because she's been trying cognitive behavioral therapy on me for my depression and anxiety and that hasn't worked out so well. I wouldn't tell anyone else in my life right now because this shit is none of their business. How do you feel after writing this stuff down? Kind of awkward and scared. I keep thinking that one of my family members is going to come into the room and see what I've been writing. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You have a right to feel the way you do, and you're probably right to feel the way you do, too. I wish I had better advice for you, but I don't. Sorry. Um, I I hope you listen to your advice because you have a right to feel the way you do. And um, I want to recommend a book for you to read that I read, and it really blew my mind and helped me understand emotional incest more. It's called Silently Seduced, and I highly recommend it. To anyone and when we talk about emotional incest it doesn't have to be uh, have a, a sexual vibe to it at all it can just be um, about the the child um, having to be emotionally supportive uh, to the parent kind of yeah and a variety you know inappropriate sharing um, you get it I don't need to over explain this. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself that one girl. And she writes, uh, my parents divorced when I was about four or five. Um, I remember it was right around when I was starting kindergarten. Anyways, after the divorce, my mom seemed to take it pretty hard. Looking back on it, I can only imagine what it was like to go to a one-income household with two little girls and being enrolled in college. My dad moved out of state and never sent child support or small checks here and there. So basically, um, she was going it alone. Most of my memories from that time of my life were of my mom being angry slash distant or not feeling good and leaving my sister and I with a bowl of mac and cheese or PB&J sandwiches and some Nickelodeon on TV while she retreated to her bedroom. But there was always one thing that I can look back on and smile. I remember living in this super crappy trailer that I'm sure had zero insulation in it so every time we would take a bath my sister and I would be freezing when we would get out. My mom would always turn the blow dryer on and once she patted us down with a towel she would take the blow dryer and let the hot air run over our bodies to help warm us up while we wrapped the towels as tight as we could around us. She would always do or say something silly to make us laugh while she was doing this. I'm not sure why bath time was something that brought out that side of her but I'm glad it was and that I have these happy memories from my childhood that I can look back on. Looking back, I now know Uh, I know now that my mom's distance during this time period of my life and later had a huge effect on my later adolescent years, but that's for another survey. As an adult, I can see that she was doing the best that she could, and she has since apologized to me for the way she was when I was younger. I've accepted that the things I've done and been through have made me into who I am today, so I can't hold too much of, of this over her, but that small little five-year-old girl who has left clean up after herself and her sister night after night still holds some resentment, and I still don't like mac and cheese. Thank you for that. Um, you know, I, I, I would imagine that that was, you know, one of the things that makes that so touching is when a parent. Is silly with us as kids. It's like they're coming down to to our level because it it's like they have to. It's an action as opposed to words, and I think that's what really you know. You can doubt somebody's words, and yeah, you can doubt their actions too. But you know, something like that is it's just it's just pure. I just I love seeing adults being silly with with kids and. Kids can't get enough of that shit. Why? Because they're dumb. <laughs> this is... Uh, what is this? An some moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Malkavian. And he writes, when my spouse was cheating on me, I started cutting. I couldn't think straight. I was suicidal, but too scared to go through with it. And in parentheses, he puts Catholicism. She called the cops, stating I was suicidal, but the police and paramedics left after speaking with me. The next day, I checked myself in somewhere. The nurse at the hospital was totally badass. She didn't bat an eye at what I'd done. She was even cracking jokes in a dark way. At one point, she said, So obviously, you're right-handed. I said yes and asked why she said that. She said, Because all the cuts are on the left side of your body. Then she gave me a tetanus shot, prefacing it with, Don't be a baby. This will hurt a lot less than what you already did to yourself. I laughed. It was perfectly dark and what I needed at that moment. Oh man, I love when somebody can... When somebody just knows exactly, when they don't condescend with their with their empathy, that's I think that's why I like dark humor so much. Is, it's just it just feels like such a real hug. Anyway, I want to end this up uh, the show up with um, some of Herbert's uh, fears. Those of you that are regular listeners know that Herbert is uh, one of my two dogs, and he is um, he's a piece of work. He is a piece of work. Uh, Herbert's Fears. I'm afraid I look stupid when I'm getting a bath. I'm afraid I'll never catch the squirrel. I'm afraid I'm not a good boy. I'm afraid I'll always have fleas. I'm afraid I've wasted my life sleeping. I'm afraid I've eaten my last good piece of cat shit. I'm afraid I'll get old and forget why I ran into another room. I'm afraid if I don't bark, bad things will happen. I'm afraid I use people for their food. I'm afraid that when I run in my sleep, people think I'm running from something. I would never do that. I'm afraid my obsession with chasing the ball is just a way to distract myself from the pain of being adopted. And finally, I'm afraid I will always resent my mom for not having more nipples. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I hope that if you're listening, you feel a little bit less alone and a little more hopeful because you are most definitely not alone. And um, oh, want to also remind you that L.A. Podfest is coming up um, and I'm recording if you're going to be in L.A. I'm recording Monday. I'm sorry, Friday night, September 26th at 7 p.m. It's at the Hotel Sofitel. And my guest is going to be uh, Laura House. So please come check it out. And they're also gonna be streaming it and um for you can get a pass to see any of the shows the night that they're video of it streaming for I believe it's twenty-five dollars and it's available for three weeks afterwards. And that's to see any of the shows, uh video of the shows. So um and they do give us a piece of that, so um think about that, that uh Paul G gets a couple of nickels out of that. Um, and the website for that is lapodfest.com and uh, you can find out how to get a weekend pass and all, all all that other stuff so yeah go check it out thank you guys so much i appreciate it thanks for listening
0: everybody i know is bizarrely beautiful fucked, 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 fucked up in some weird ways bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. way.